2: Athletes unable to compete have decided to make headlines in the courtroom. Mark Emmert says something smart, but still manages to kill the buzz. And then the May Twitter question competition starts heating up. You're listening to Can't Read, Can't Write. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Can't Read, Can't Write. The podcast that proves to Wolverines, Spartans can talk. I'm Mike Jones, joined as always by the man who does not believe in urinal dividers, Kevin Greck. Greck, how you doing, buddy?
0: I'm great. You know what they say about like, you know, police seizures. You know, if you're not, you don't have anything to hide, you know, what's the problem? You know, what, what do you need a urinal divider for? That's what I say. <laughs> Bring it on. What? Why not? What, what's uh, wrong, you guys? <laughs>
2: Well, and today, God, you have great points, Greg, Uh, and today, back by popular demand, is the guest host with the most, the man who I couldn't have had on at a better time, but surely by dumb luck, Alex Plum. Uh, Those who may not remember, because it feels like it was, I don't know, 80 years ago, Uh, Plum is a public health expert who joined me for a show that occurred just before the Big Ten Tourney and March Madness were canceled. We welcome Alex back to the show. How's it going, Plum?
1: Uh, Good, Mike. Uh, Glad to be back. And uh, uh, yeah, I'm doing well. Just uh, I guess on the lookout for urinals I can share with Greg. (laughs)
0: We're (laughs) going to play swords. It's going to be a good time.
2: This is not going to go well for me. (laughs) we
0: to a great start. (laughs)
2: Um, Folks, of course, thank you for listening. And if we could, as we always do, please share the podcast with Spartans in your life. Follow us in the old Twitter machine at Spartan underscore pod. Give the show a retweet if you're feeling particularly generous. And of course, you can rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It is very much appreciated. And before we begin in earnest, we have to give a a brief word from our presenting sponsor, Fraser's Pub in Ann Arbor, Michigan on Packard Street, currently open daily from 12 to 8 p.m., where you can get uh, call-ahead takeout service, including bottled beer to go, but The good news is Michigan's reopening. Mm -hmm. You guys are in Michigan. Give me the story.
0: Yeah. I mean, I look around and it seems like, yeah, this is a good time to be reopening, right? Alex Plum, public health uh, expert.
1: Yeah, no. I mean, I think uh, reopening is a good thing, right? And I think the second wave of the disease will be another.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, uh, Fraser's Pub does want to let you know that they are hoping that they'll be able to reopen, uh, that they'll be allowed to reopen by May 29th. Um, We will certainly get into what all that means, I think, throughout the show. But for right now, they are looking to reopen by May 29th. And they would like to say that whether it's through them or if you're going out to another small business in your area, another small business restaurant in your area, if you're doing the takeout slash delivery thing, order direct from the restaurant. It shockingly means a lot to their profit line. And so as we're all taking the opportunity to maybe reintroduce ourselves to commerce, uh, anything you can do to help out small businesses is greatly appreciated, but you know, some businesses better than no business. So, uh, that said, Frasers pub, you can get that wood paneling back in your veins. Mm. Um, and it is cleaned with Lysol. So that probably means it cures the disease.
0: Science. That's right. All right, (laughs) President Trump, let's move on.
2: (laughs) Uh, Let's get into the structure of the show real quick. For those who may be joining us for the first time, uh, there are, I don't know, what now, three segments to the show. Uh, The first one is the Green Wall, where we cover headlines surrounding Michigan State sports. Um, The second segment is what we call Off Grand River, where we cover some of the headlines that are going on in usually college sports. And then wrap it up with our Twitter questions. And that will be the three segments until we finally have sports to preview again. For the many questions about it, no, we will not be previewing Korean baseball anytime soon. But with that, gentlemen, let's get into football because football always leads um, more commitments. And I guess, you know, before I turn it over to you, just for people who don't know, uh, MSU football picked up three commitments this past week. One is a punter, Mark Vassett, I think I'm pronouncing it correctly. He comes all the way from Australia and is 23 years old, but will be enrolling <laughs> as a freshman. Uh, he is 6'4, 210 pounds. Jesus.
0: Even the punters beast. are big boys yeah. in the in the Tucker. I love regime. a
2: husky punter. Love a husky punter. If, if, if your punter is going to big and tall, you know, you're doing something right. But, um, but I, I guess we'll talk about him generally, but the next commit is, uh, a safety Michael gravely jr. He's the first recruit for Mel Tucker out of Ohio, specifically Cleveland. He's the number, number 74 safety in the nation, 39th best player in Ohio. He's coming in at six, one, one 193. The streak is alive. And finally, a preferred walk on a two-star offensive lineman, defensive tackle uh, out of Flint, who had at least one other power five offer out of Syracuse, Logan Murray. He's six, three, three Oh five chose MSU over some other decent schools. Many of them, you know, lesser than sort of a big 10 school, but still, you know, an okay offer list, but picked walking on to MSU as uh, MSU was his dream school. So, Greg, I guess I'll turn it to you first. What are your thoughts on the ongoing commitments for Mel Tucker?
0: Well, I'm glad that we got a 23-year-old in here, really raising that median age. Mm. What do you think that's like when you go into the player room for the first time and you're 23 and you're in there with a bunch of 17 and 18-year-olds? <laughs> <laughs> that's, and that's it's a new country. Weird. And uh, you're 6'4", 210, and you're just going to pound the ball into the air. Uh, yeah, i I mean, the rugby kick is coming to East Lansing. I guess that's kind of exciting. What do you, you think? Know, we
2: well, had an Aussie punter who was with us last year, and then decided to return back home.
0: Go homesick,
2: Dana. Yeah, I, I actually am, I'm kind of curious what the turnover is there. But um, anyway, sorry to interrupt.
1: Well, I just my only point is, you know, rugby style kicking is great and everything. But if he's got trouble with the snap, I hope he knows to fall on the ball. <laughs>
0: that's going to be the first thing in film that he's got to watch and it better be
2: (laughs) it's like look one of your buddies came over here and really (laughs) screwed this up in a way that we're super happy about but you need to watch this until you have it memorized because that's it is um i guess plum i mean what do you make of The fact that, uh, you know, Greg and I have talked about this a a little bit, that Ohio is going to be an important part of MSU's recruiting strategy. First pickup, you know, I I think even though you say, all right, 39th best player in Ohio, I mean, Ohio is deep in football players, so that means he's still a pretty good player. But uh, you sense that this is maybe the first of many to come out of Ohio? I know you know, I'm not asking like you're a recruiting insider, but what's your what's your take on this?
3: I, no,
1: I think it's a good thing. I think um, listen, top fifty of anything in any state is not something to sneeze at. So that's the first thing I'd say. And the second is Ohio's a big deal. Um, Ohio has long been uh, an important stronghold by which Michigan State has found some of its top talent over the years. Um so for Mel Tucker, I think this is in line with what the school would expect, with what alumni would expect for the program. And um, this kid, I think, is going to be a great addition to the program. So good job, Mel. And I, I do. I, I hope it's one of many to come.
0: Yeah. Plus, um, calling it out, 6'1 safety. Keeping him tall. Keeping him so tall, Mel. He's got a type. You can't, yeah. What are you going to say? Apparently, you Michael Gravely is going to sleep fast. That's still, I think, my favorite thing that Tucker just said off the cuff so far. We're going to sleep fast. Like, what beautiful poetry. Like who? Who says that? He's going to sleep fast. Yeah, amazing.
2: Um. Well, you know, and then I guess last, I'll just sort of wrap up on Logan Murray. Um. I, I, I think we've we've said plenty before that you know certainly D'Antonio built a program on some some guys who just wanted to be there. Um. Certainly, that's a Kenny Willicus, right? And I'm not saying Logan is going to be the next Kenny Willicus, but he might be. We we don't know. Um but it is, you know, it, it those are you you want those guys in your program who who chose you because you know, they could have gone somewhere for you know, maybe sort of a financially better circumstance or or whatever, but you know, that's where that Michigan State's where they really in their heart of hearts wanted to be and that's that's great. So Mel continues to round out the the recruiting class uh and I think that takes us up to 12 now hmm. uh commitments. So with that um let's turn to some basketball news and slight update here. Slight update uh Aaron Henry has uh taken on an agent uh for his uh, his NBA draft uh exploration. It is an agent that allows him to maintain his eligibility because uh, the agent is NCAA certified. It's not necessarily a sign that he's made a decision, but um, uh, is an opportunity for him to gather more feedback uh, from a different route in in addition to what Tom Izzo does. I I guess, you know, Greg, we've talked about whether Henry stays or goes. Plum, do you have a a sense on on what you've been reading and and thinking about it, what what Henry's going to do?
1: I think he stays. I think he's probably got somebody in his ear saying to him, you, you just got to do the due diligence. Uh, so, you know, I would be, I I guess I'd be curious to know, I have to imagine that Tom does everything for his boys in a way that they would trust that he's only always interested in, in them and what they think is best for themselves. In other words, I don't think Tom is, trying to take uh, advantage of anybody, especially none of his players in this situation. So, um, my guess is he's probably got someone in, or maybe himself saying, I, I want a little bit more information than just what Tom is is uh, is getting for me. Maybe he thinks that that positions him more strongly to be um, ready in the next season or so. But no, I, I think he stays.
0: Yeah, there's some question out there about teams making him an offer, some kind of guaranteed money uh, type of situation we'll see if something like that ends up happening. Uh, You know, they say it only takes one team to like you that much. And Aaron Henry's got the measurables and he's got some good film. So it's not impossible, but I think just about everyone is betting that he'll be back in the fall. So we look forward to seeing that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. Or if he goes pro, we're happy for him there too. But you know, I think selfishly we would all like him back. Um, Yeah. And with that, it we are nearly done with news because, uh, thankfully, Michigan State was not in the news for terrible reasons this week. Um, but we would like to give a special shout out uh, to MSU's virtual graduation that's happening this Saturday at 10 a.m. It's available on the MSU Facebook and their main web pages. As Greg pointed out, it, it might be nice of us to acknowledge the reason that we're all doing this in the first place. and. Yeah. So I guess uh, on behalf of the three of us, all Spartan alums, we would like to say congratulations to everyone who's graduating this year. Um, I know your senior year or last year of whatever it is that you were pursuing right now probably didn't end the way you thought it would. Um, But your Spartan's all the same, and we're Mm -hmm. very happy for you. You're
0: here. Yeah, and next year when you do your fake commencement, first off, what do you think about that? Do you think – A lot of these students are going to come back to campus for that.
2: Well, turn it to Plum, because I think you and I chatted about it, and I think we were both like, hell
0: yes, I would come back for that. Oh, absolutely, especially given the circumstances that they had to leave. What do you think, Plum?
1: Yeah, no, you have to. I think you have to come back. There's too many things you didn't get to do. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I mean. uh, So many many parties you missed. Too many parties. Someone has to pants President Stanley on the stage as they're going across. <laughs> I mean, there's too many just traditions, you know, for the first uh, first commencement ceremony. But- Do we know I, who the speaker is?
0: I don't believe there is one. Well, I, I don't think a, they is President Obama. Is he doing it for everybody? I thought this. I thought he did did it for everyone for high school. Is he doing it for college too? I thought so. Oh, I just remember being kind of burned out for my actual graduation and thinking to myself like, okay. I'm done with school. I'm glad that this is over to a degree. Seven months later, if you told me I was able to go back to campus and redo the whole thing and have just like a party week, oh my God, I would have been there. For sure. So hard. It would have been an entirely different, much more celebratory type of commencement. So yeah, we have welcome brutal. week. Why don't we
2: have farewell week?
0: Yeah. It's brutal for these students now and you know we're happy for them, but I think they're going to have a very different and still joyful graduation, proper graduation sometime next year.
1: And what's more, is we will always remember them as the singular <laughs> class that this happened to. And so mm-hmm. they will have a bit of Spartan lore that they get to keep and pass on to their children and grandchildren. In some ways, they're to be envied.
0: Yeah. So- yes. Absolutely.
3: <laughs>
1: now,
0: uh, uh, Alex Plum, we, we don't have to worry about this becoming routine, do we? Like, I Me, mean, let's, let's, Why? <laughs>
2: I I think we're going to get heavy into some COVID in a little bit. Mm. Uh, but before we do, it wouldn't be an episode of Can't Read, Can't Write without hearing from a not a sponsor. And frankly, I, I got to give a big shout out to Alex Plum for bringing this not a sponsor to us. Obviously, we couldn't do the show without their lack of support, Um, and in this case, the feeling is mutual. So, Alex, can you tell us about this week's Not a Sponsor?
1: Sure. Uh, Mike, Kevin, this week's episode of Can't Read, Can't Write is not brought to you by Betsy DeVos, Secretary of the U.S. Department of Education. In this age of Me Too, universities beginning to take responsibility for enabling generations of sexual predators and the baby steps finally taken by the NCAA to curb the sexual predator pipeline in college athletics, Secretary DeVos kindly said, Ah, wait a minute. Hold my beer. Somehow, fighting every instinct that common sense has thrown (laughs) at our society, the Department of Education announced last week changes to Title IX reporting requirements that eliminate reporting requirements. (laughs) Stay quiet. Many administrators say nothing. But abusers, you guys get more power. Apparently, long accepted in the private and charter schools her family has profiteered off of, the secretary is excited to extend this opportunity to empower the privileged and oppressors to the entire nation. Betsy DeVos, not a sponsor and not much of a secretary of education either.
2: (laughs) Uh... (laughs) we we well we we just lost one
0: listener in holland i think
2: (laughs) well you know i i feel like uh as as spartans uh i hope for many of us this stuff is is really important to us and it's not like it's not something we haven't talked about so uh betsy we appreciate you for continuing to not endorse our ideals here um Mm -hmm. and with that let's head off grand river gentlemen um I don't know that there's much to comment on on the first headline headline we have here, but the NCAA has extended the recruiting dead period to June 30th. Um, Obviously, this is in response to to COVID-19, which we're about ready to address in more depth. But I guess the thing that I'm kind of curious about is, do we even care? I mean, we've been in a dead period for how long and how much? has Mel Tucker been able to accomplish? I guess this maybe hurts on his 2022 class.
0: Yeah, just imagine how many recruits there'd be if we weren't in a dead period, right? It'd be bananas. There'd be a 1,000 recruits, probably. Like 2,000 recruits, I think,
2: (laughs) at least. Jim Harbaugh would be in favor of that, and we'll get to that (laughs) later.
0: Yeah, we're jumping ahead there. Uh, No, this isn't relevant to me at all. I mean, I don't care about this. Do you guys? pass? (laughs)
2: <laughs> All right. Headline announced. So, but that does tie in to um, a, a bit more of a relevant headline, which I, I think we're just going to turn the mic over to Plum. But uh, the gist of it is that President of the NCAA, Mark Emeritt, uh addressed when and if sports will be coming back in light of COVID nineteen. And you know, I, I guess I'll just give the very brief summary, but I'll let you talk about it more. Plum is that it had to do with testing and tracing. And frankly, if students aren't back on campus, sports isn't happening. So I guess Plum, maybe you can lay out kind of what the situation is. He had a doctor with him. Um, but what is your sense of the challenges and his assessment of what it would take for sports to come back?
1: Yeah, you know, I think um, it's hard. It's hard to give the NCAA credit really ever because they spend a lot of time making sure that they're not creditable. So this was one of those, um, this was one of those moments where where you really kind of, I had to kind of scratch my head and just make sure I was reading it. Right. I, I, I think they're doing the right thing here Um, because they keep coming for me. They keep coming back to testing and screening. And really, that is the key to all of this. When you want to talk about reopening anything, when you want to talk about reclaiming our ability to resume life as normal, the question simply is how well do we know our own uh, status in terms of individuals who may be um, infected with COVID-19, the the coronavirus, the SARS coronavirus that causes the COVID-19 disease, um, how likely are we to be symptomatic versus asymptomatic and how likely are we to be um spreaders of this uh around folks who would be at you know a specific higher ratio of uh, 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 propens- uh propensity to to take to take seriously ill so anyway uh-huh. the the, fo- the focus that they're that he keeps focusing on rapid diagnostic tests um and understanding immunity until we get those tests we can't you can't allow people in stadiums. You can't really have kids back in school. You can't have class resuming on campus. And if folks can't be in camp, can't be on campus, can't be in class, how do you put them all in a gym, right, to do weight yeah. training? When you got twenty-five guys, there's no way you do social distancing. And think about you're breathing heavy if you're on the treadmill. You're running. All of that's aspirating. All of that's aerosolizing, potentially aerosolizing viral particles, which then go into the air. Um, that's a that's it's a non-starter.
3: Yeah.
0: And Alex, where do you think we're at in the process of getting more widespread testing? Um, the, the question this, you know, the
1: president um, has, have, I have to, I have, I'm going to just try, I'm going to go out on a limb here and try to say the president is getting terrible information from his advisors because he believes, he seems convinced that, that yeah. there are adequate tests. And I don't know how any human could reasonably believe that no one in the country is thinking or saying that we have enough tests on the local Right.
2: Yeah. I, I think, and I know this is, a, a, and I'm not referring to us, but I know Last Week Tonight is a comedy show, but they do obviously use facts. And my understanding is that the expert consensus is that we need to have somewhere between 500 to 2 million tests a day to be able to appropriately handle COVID, and we're at about 200,000 right now.
1: And while we, you're absolutely right, Mike, and while we have uh, a good handle on rapid diagnostics, in other words, the test um, sensitivity and specificity, I'll explain those in a moment, while they are good for rapid diagnostics, they are really bad for antibodies and even worse for antigen testing. Um, in, in, In the world of epidemiology, There are two metrics that gauge that we gauge success by any test. The first is sensitivity, the ability of a test to detect a true positive. In other words, if the test says yes, you got it. How how sure are we that that yes means yes? And the converse is specificity, right? How sure are we that when your test says no, you don't have it? The no means no. Um, If both are one hundred percent, perfect. You're great. Um, ideally we want to get one in the high nineties, really above 98. And you want, you want both to be really above 98, but ultimately what it comes down to is the, um, prevalence of the disease. So let me give you an example right now with COVID, what we think best case, best case scenario. Um, well, yeah, I, I, right now we're kind of working with maybe 5% of the population has a kind of average mm. maybe. Ish, that's a really rough estimate. And I think there's some debate and it might actually be far smaller. But if, if it's true that 5% of the population has it, but on the converse that a test is only 95% specific, what a 95% specific test means is if this test says, no, you don't have it, then five out of hundred people actually do have it. Even if the test said no, well, mm-hmm. that same five would be the percentage of people that we would expect to have it in this 95% prevalence rate. And so how do you compare? Well, that 5%, I I actually have it when it says I don't versus 5% that we expect in terms of prevalence does have it. Now you're comparing five and five, which means it's a 50-50 chance. So the, the numbers don't add up. You would need a prevalence to be much, much, much higher. In other words, we would expect half the population has the common cold or a quarter of the population has the common cold at some point for that to absorb that risk profile. I know sure. it's, it's kind of the, the minutiae there is kind of annoying and a little bit wonky, but the point remains, unless you can get these tests really strictly configured, knowing whether or not somebody has antibodies, A, it won't be accurate. And B, ultimately, if it isn't accurate, it won't matter. And then you can't use that to judge policy. And that's ultimately what this is about. You've got to have information to set policy. And if you don't have it, you don't have policy, which means you can't make changes. So then where's your football season?
0: Yeah. Well, well, first, uh, an apology to the listeners. We should have told you that you needed pen and pencil and, and, <coughs> and paper for the, for this. Like, you should have been taking notes throughout. Will um, be a PowerPoint. <laughs> yes, there there will be uh, visual aids provided uh, after the podcast, yeah. uh, no, and, and notes will be uh, will be shared. But uh, that's that's good background. Appreciate it.
2: And and Plum, is there? This is just for me because I've seen videos of people receiving the test and right. it looks worse than the flu <laughs> test. Is there a world in which that Q-tip can be not stuck so far up your nose such that it looks like it's lobotomizing you?
1: Yeah. And this is the challenge, right? Cause actually, you know, what I've, what I've read in some of the studies is that depending on how much mucus, um, you know, if you're if you're really snotty, for example, you've got a really bad runny nose or something like that, it's completely possible that you're expectorating so much fluid that it's actually desensitizing the ability of the um the the swab to actually collect the the rich mucus that would have potentially have the viral particles in it. Mm. Um what what I've read is that um some of the tests are getting configured where that we can be moving to spit tests where individuals would just um expectorate saliva into a sample and oh. that's a much better um, accurate way of getting, cause you know, you can wait, you know, just don't drink water for a second and you'll, you'll generate, you know, the kind of saliva you would need to test it. The problem is collecting that sample, um, exposes the test takers to a lot more potential virus than it is to do a swab and then immediately put it into, a, um, into a sealant or a, into a receptacle. So but that's better for me. It's better for you. And it's also, it's easier for you to do at home. And this is a big piece, right? Because you talk about test kit availability, you can't given how painful and how much everyone kind of hypes about it. I haven't had that test done. I don't actually know how painful it is. It's probably not comfortable, but the point is it's become part of the ethos now. And so now folks are probably going to be like, I don't want to get something jammed at my nose. If I can avoid it, no, I'm not going to get tested. Um, The second thing is if you know that that's going to be painful, there is no way you're going to do that test correctly yourself. If we had got to the point where we could do self-administration so. But people are already doing 23andMe and and other genetic tests, right? They spit into the vial, they send it away. So it's not inconceivable that we could move into some world like that. Um, The question just is, how quickly could we get that configured? Because that level of self-administration would be very reliable
3: and theoretically could be done very quickly.
2: So I guess the... From a, a... And this is maybe less of a public health question, and then we'll kind of leave it after this one. But, you know... Part of what Mark Emmert talked about was that if students aren't back on campus, it doesn't make sense for athletes to be back on campus. And I I hear what you're saying, and and obviously having been in a gym, I I appreciate the the, the challenges that are associated with keeping that sanitary. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, recognizing that they they could wear masks, they could um, only have uh, you know smaller populations within the gym. obviously everyone should be wiping down equipment. There could be a sanitation process and athletes could through practice, do some measure of social distancing, maybe at least for a time to get themselves kind of back in shape, but from a, you know, just as a what you think the role of college sports are in what is inherently an academic endeavor. Do you think if there was a way to do it safer or safely, for them to get back on campus, even though students aren't allowed back. Do you think that's even just morally the right thing to do?
1: You're asking a lot of really good questions. And I think people of good conscience could agree and disagree on the answers of them. I think the way that I would try to frame this is the NCAA has long um, murdered itself on many, many hills um, because they have taken the position that these are student athletes and they are students before anything else. And this, even when all of their other actions prove the absolute opposite of that. I think that to be consistent to its argument, the NCAA has to maintain this line of thought, which is these are student athletes. And therefore, if school is not in session on campus, there is no justifiable way to bring them there. To do so would be to privilege or to prioritize their athleticism and the revenue generation that their sport brings to the universities over the fact that there isn't really a justifiable educational reason for them there, um, I think that is ultimately uh, what their import is to the schools, and I think that there is that's completely unassailable. Um, and yet, the fact that you know the NCAA has not allowed uh, students to benefit or profit from their image being used or likeness, et cetera, et cetera, because they're not professionals, because they're amateurs, because they're students, um, I, I don't see how the uh, how the how the NCAA squares that. Um, with with anything else. That's one point. I think there are other ones, namely, which is I don't actually think we have an ability to achieve a a safe environment. I don't think that you can wipe down every single machine as soon as every single um, uh, athlete is done with it. I don't think there's any space, unless they're going to start weightlifting outdoors, and they could. um, There's not really enclosed spaces that are going to be safe unless you know folks don't have the disease.
0: Also, just imagine logistically, if one player on the team tests positive, and then what a third of the team has to go into self quarantine for two weeks and then that team is playing some other team that has 30 of its scholarship players eligible to play like without a vaccine, I don't see how the logistics of this work.
3: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Well,
2: uh, we will obviously so continue
0: ruined it for everyone. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I, it just bums me out. We, we, I think we've got questions on it, so we'll get, get to a little bit more of it later, but, um, we will turn to, uh, you know, a headline surrounding Zion Williams, um, sorry, Williamson, uh, and his potentially, uh, a, a pay for play, uh, scheme at Duke um i don't i don't want to spend too much time getting into you know the the factual background of the case but what sort of burst into the media was that um some requests for admissions what are called requests for admissions were sent um as as part of the ongoing case that essentially asked did he get paid um and I, I, I don't. Greg, can correct me if I'm wrong here, but we don't have much more to say on this other than these are pretty normal in in, yeah. a civil, in a civil
0: case. So it seems that our friend Zion's having some kind of issue with what is it? Some kind of former marketing yeah. administrator of his. And uh, I'm not the recovering lawyer on the podcast, but these requests for admission are worded in such a way as. Will you admit that you received these impermissible benefits on behalf of Duke University to play basketball? Will you, will you admit that, you know, you, you, I think his stepmother uh, was called out. I think his father was called out um, for several different impermissible benefits. Now, we were talking about this before our recording, and you were telling me that these can be kind of a pain to get past because they can't just say flatly, no, they have to give some kind of justification for that answer. Correct.
2: Right. So it, merely saying no is insufficient. You can, mm-hmm. you can say admit as in, yes, what you just said, I'm, you're, what you're just asking me to admit to, I, you can just say yes. Um, but you can't just say no, you have to say why. Um, and, and these are a standard mechanism of discovery in a civil lawsuit. Um, they, you know, the, the idea being as with anything in civil litigation is that you're trying to swap as much information as possible so that you can narrow down what the precise bit that you're fighting about is. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I don't know that it actually makes cases any more efficient, but the thought is that it will make a trial more efficient if we're not fighting over every single thing.
3: But what lawyers do
2: in effect is use this as an opportunity to put a bit of their own spin on what the case should be and then make the other side debate that, that angle. And so it's, it's oftentimes not merely though it can be as simple as admit that your mother received a hundred thousand dollars. I just, I don't, I didn't read the specific ones, but it can be, it can be that easy, but it can be, you can make it a longer factual statement. And then you have to say what each piece of that factual statement is that you're disagreeing with. So it's admit your mother received a hundred thousand dollars for the purpose of, and then you know uh buying a duffel bag to bring to Zion that was filled with groceries for his new apartment you know like and so then you have to you have to deny the new apartment, you have to deny the duffel bag, you have to deny the hundred thousand dollars, and you have to say like you know each one, and so it's more words that you are then stating um under the penalty of perjury mm-hmm. so Mm, They're a pain. Wow but this this isn't particularly explosive. Um,
0: yeah, that know. was going to be my question. On a scale from one, where one is a totally upstanding court case between two parties and everything is above board, and ten is the Blackwell situation, where does your gut <laughs> tell you that this lands?
2: Uh this this lands under. I don't know. I'll put it at a four. Ooh, as okay. it is. I mean, it, it's, it's normal, right? Like it's just aggressive. And I haven't been following the case enough to say how quickly they did it. Um, but like these, it, there was someone who, I don't know if they're actually published somewhere or they're just some sort of law, Twitter sports expert or something like that, but it was presented as in such a way that this was explosive and it is not, it, it mm. may be aggressive litigating, but it's not explosive. It's explosive
0: um, in that it can cause clicks to happen to various <laughs> news outlets. And you know, it's I am all about that click lifestyle. That yeah,
2: um, but let's let's head to someone else who is looking to generate some clicks, <laughs> and let's talk some Jim Harbaugh here. Um, Jim Harbaugh released a manifesto, uh, an open letter, I think is what he called it, to the college community or college or to the football community. Um, I assume he was shirtless and khakis while he wrote it, Uh, but I'll lay it out here and then in Plum, I I guess I turn to you for your take on it because I think think we're all in consensus that this is designed to benefit schools like Michigan, but Harbaugh laid out essentially five proposals as to – The rules governing professionalism and amateurism in in college and and professional sports, or college and professional football. So the first proposal is that a player, a football player, can declare for the NFL draft after any season. Uh, So they can play one year in college and declare if they would like. If they are not drafted, however, in the first 224 picks, which I assume is the seven rounds, um, of the draft it, it, you know if they're if they go undrafted
0: ish team come... seven rounds, that sounds about right two twenty four
2: yeah, so so they would be able to come back uh, assuming they haven't accepted any mo- money from an agent. Uh, they could come back to college, they don't have to sign with a the team, they don't forego their amateurism. Um, if they do leave for the NFL, however, they are eligible for as many years of paid for school as they completed. So if you spent one year at college and then went to the NFL, you would be entitled to another year of paid for college. If you did two years, you would get in the remaining two. Anything in excess of three would get you, or I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Anything I think in excess of three would get you a, an additional year of school. So essentially they're paying for their, they're saying they'll pay for one year of a graduate degree. So two is the
0: sweet spot. GoPro is two, man.
2: Yes. Um, The third proposal is that a student athlete may consult with lawyers and agents at any point in time during the process. Obviously, as mentioned before, they can't accept money from those people, but they should be able to gather as much information as possible. The fourth proposal is that all football players just get five years of eligibility. There's no longer a red shirt. And the fifth is that the NCAA should eliminate the hard cap rule on the number of scholarships that can be offered in a year, which is currently 25. Mm -hmm. Um, As we've mentioned, some schools like to over-offer. But um, anyway, Plum, what's your take on these proposals? I mean, what can I – the guy is such a Gryffindor, isn't he? I mean
1: (laughs) – what can be said? It's like, first he's going on about abortion. Now he's got this loony. He, he just wants to be seen, and he wants to be heard. This coming from the guy, by the way, who wrote that imbecile pro, uh, proposal for expanding the tournament to what? What did he say? So he wanted 16 teams, the playoff.
0: Oh, the um, playoff, yeah. Right?
1: This teams, sounds right. And, and the removal of conference championship games, which you, we might note uh, is quite telling, considering his Wolverines have reached Indianapolis... I'm counting checks, notes.
3: Mm.
1: Well, <laughs> checks. I don't see any. So null set, null set. <laughs> so you know, you come back to here. I think um, if, uh, what's the guy say? Uh, Rainer Saban in the Free Press is that right? Mm-hmm. Wrote uh, yes, it, it called it gerrymandering, which is kind of a misunderstanding of gerrymandering. But I love the I love the analogy, right? Which is he's doing anything he can to get his competition out of the way and into the big leagues so he has a chance to fucking win some games and i just feel i know i'm um, sorry effing games flipping games and you know (laughs) i don't blame him i i don't blame him because if i were him and i had the 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 lack of laurels to rest on i'd probably be doing the same thing
0: yeah dude he's got some heat he's got some you know uh breath on his neck there uh so, you know, you, you start putting some ideas out These are just ideas, you know? He's an <laughs> right. ideas man. Big, big thinker. And so what if they're just tailored to generally uh, benefit Michigan and its, its style of play? You know, eliminating this hard cap rule and the number of scholarships that can be offered in a year. There are three or four teams in which that's useful for because those players go to the NFL. And then everyone else is just opens the gates to run off as many players as you want. And then just re-signed another giant class, which is Michigan does a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. So uh, some of these ideas aren't terrible, and I'm inclined to throw them away just because of the source. But, I mean, this is just a man trying to get some attention right now, trying to be a thought leader in the college football space. Can some of these...
1: Explain this five year eligibility. Is there any other sport in the NCAA where we give more than four years of eligibility to a student athlete?
0: I don't think so. I think the four years of eligibility in a red shirt is NCAA Standard,
1: wide. Right? So, what is this? What's the rationale there?
2: I, I, I mean, I, I think you would say that. I mean, if I was going to argue on behalf of the point, is that you. You can play such a minuscule part in a game. You know, I I think um it just came out, I'm forgetting which one of the offensive linemen, I believe it was an offensive lineman, that um there'd been misrecording of he played like a snap in a game. And, you know, we can blame this on D'Antonio, but he blew a year of eligibility because of a snap. A snap. Yep. Um, you could have a guy playing special teams, you know, which means he's what you know, maybe on the, the field, if he's on the, you know, kickoff team four times, five times a game. So I, I think the idea being, yeah, sure. Some guys are going to benefit way more from this, you know, potentially our our five year starters, maybe depending on how they see themselves positioned in a draft class. But I think that's the point is that like, you know, you're getting closer to that but you know college football i think did the right thing by giving um giving players four games and still maintaining their red shirt and it sounds like some of some of the being able to participate in athletics at a earlier stage is somehow tied to graduation rates hmm. so hmm. I don't, I don't have the, the stats or the knowledge on, but I, I have heard that the idea that the allowing kids to participate for four games um, actually helped with graduation rates for, for mm. some reason. And I don't know if that's actually has to do with maybe running people off with scholarships or something. I, I don't know. Um,
0: Uh, For this first idea of his, uh, players not being drafted in the first 224 picks coming back to school, I can imagine a scenario where, like, on the second weekend of the NFL draft, players are getting to draft pick like 180, 190, and they're just like, actually, I'm removing my name from the NFL draft. (laughs) Yeah. I don't want to be pick 223. Thank you very much. What you think about it, Cody
2: White would be back right now.
0: Yeah, that's true. God.
2: I assume anyway, we
0: talked about Cody white, but yeah. Um, so I, I mean, again, I I'm inclined to just discard these ideas because of their source. Maybe some of them are good, but he, he's not publishing this list because he has the student athletes best interest in mind. (laughs) No, no, (laughs) no.
2: Yeah. Your, your analysis of his motives, I, I think is spot on. I look, I I will say, you know, we let college basketball players test the waters a little bit. Mm -hmm. I don't have a problem with the idea that you should be able to do the same thing in football. You know, why not be able to get a little bit of a report card on what you need to work on? Hmm. And if the NFL is down with that, then I say, let's do it. But, you know, you pointed out, Kevin, that before we started recording, that the NCAA gets a bad rap, oftentimes for things that aren't actually their rule like the one and done rule. The, the current situation in college football is an NFL rule. And I think the NFL probably rightly recognizes that very few people have the body, mass, skill, speed, what have you, to actually participate in the NFL any earlier than after their third year. Indeed. But, the, but this requires
3: a consensus on the NFL's part, is I guess what I'm going at.
2: Agree. Okay. Um, with that, was that, that was a very silent agree. Let's move to that was our his last.
3: Indeed. That was his move
1: along indeed.
2: Yep. Actual. <laughs> he revealed this on the pot a few weeks ago. I paid
0: attention because I knew it, was, he'd do it to me one day. <laughs> He's listening. Plum's over here listening for the context clues. Okay.
2: <laughs> what All right. Kind well, of let's move uh, to a real that. sponsor. Uh, and then we will head into your Twitter questions of course, your Twitter or your Twitter questions are brought to you by Brandon Sands of Guaranteed Rate, who is a mortgage loan originator, wants to let you know that mortgage rates are at their lowest ever in history. If you happen to be on the market to buy a new home, or perhaps you're paying over 4% on your current mortgage and you'd like to look into refinancing, Brandon is the man to turn to. Having closed over ten thousand loans and working for the one of the largest mortgage lenders in the country, Brandon sets himself apart because he has a consultative approach. He will look at uh, your long term, short term goals. He'll assess your current financial situation, your credit, and help you select the right product that fits to what your goals are. And and that really, I mean, we know Brandon. He's He's a really smart guy and and is, is not going to try and to push you into something that that isn't right for you and, and will be a solid listener through the, the process. So if you happen to be in the market for one of those things, if you are paying more than 4% currently on your mortgage, now is the time to look into refinancing. You can find Brandon at rate.com backslash Brandon Sands. That's R-A-T-E dot com backslash B-R-A-N-D-E-N-S-A-N-Z rate.com backslash Brandon Sands. Uh, If you you happen to talk to Brandon, have a beer with him on us. Tell him, can't read, can't write, sent you. And With that, it's the main event. Let's turn to Twitter questions. Here it is. And let's start it off with, and we're going to try our best to keep this rapid fire. And I think most of the questions lend themselves to rapid fire, I will say. Hmm. So we'll start with Taylor Anderson, who asks first, who's your favorite non-MSU athlete? Plum, you first. It's
1: got to be the one and only Steven Gerrard, a midfielder for Liverpool uh, back in its heyday. I mean, that's uh, uh, non debatable.
2: Oh, hmm. God. You did not come to the right podcast for that answer. Hmm. Uh, okay. Correct what's yours?
0: Well, that wasn't going to be mine. How's that? Yeah. Uh, man, when I was growing up, I loved Alan Trammell uh, for, uh, on the Tigers, of course. And then I, I also loved uh we'll go with trammel trammel's my guy travis Fryman was fantastic too mostly because he was the first baseball baseball card i ever got Ooh. so that's how i made decisions back then <laughs> i was a child
2: that's very cool um <laughs> I, think very cool. Kinda, I, <laughs> I think the first one i idolized was joe montana but i will have to say barry bonds is mine
1: oh.
2: um mm. Next question from Taylor is, what's your ideal vacation spot? Deepwoods cabin, cabin, sorry, uh, Oceanside House, Inland Inland Lake Cottage, or a big city apartment slash hotel? Plum, what do you got?
1: It's got to be Inland Lake Cottage for me, 100%.
0: Yeah. Agree. I, I apparently, if I did a accounting, I think I'd probably spend most of my vacation money in big city apartment hotels. But if I had a choice, yeah. I think it'd be Lake Cottage every time, right? Yeah. Michigander.
1: Clear water, no salt in it. Yeah, no, that's great. No sharks.
2: Done. No
0: sharks. Jones Give me that fun
2: cabin fun. every time. Um, yeah, but
0: deep woods cabin or Lake Cottage?
2: I, I don't like lake bugs. Oh,
0: God. How about the bears oh, then? Damn
3: it.
2: I like bears. Whoa. Bears are cool. Uh, all right. I like this question a lot. You're out at a fancier bar than your usual. He says this is assuming you guys are sports slash dive bar kind of guys. Um, what's your go-to cocktail? Plum? Uh, yeah. Uh, I, guess,
1: I guess. I mean, I'm going to reveal some things. I'm going to just go ahead and say a vodka soda. <laughs> <laughs>
2: base whatever's on special
0: bottom shelf uh when i get handed a menu for a craft cocktail list i spend way more time with it than anything else and i have to like sneak looking up different you know ingredients in each one of the drinks on my phone to try to figure out which each one what these what are going to be like 13 15 drinks are going to taste like um so, yeah, I, I don't know what it's going to be. It's probably going to have whiskey in it, though, at the end of the day. What about you, Jonesy?
2: Uh Go-to cocktail is an old-fashioned. Yeah,
0: that's Okay.
2: Good. Easy. That's great. Um, next and last question from Taylor Anderson is, favorite MSU sports memory from your time on campus? It is to be noted we were all on campus at the same time, so I am actually super interested to hear this. Plum, what do you got? Oh, man.
1: God, I don't. How do you oh pick one? I I don't know I oh I will I will say I bet my my favorite um, MSU sports memory was lower bowl uh, junior year no sophomore year sophomore year sophomore year sophomore year because Shannon Brown was playing he was taking a free throw. Uh, and, uh, Jim Burr was the referee, uh, the basketball game and Jim Burr had made a series of shitty calls and I believe had had teed Tom Izzo up once at that point. And right as the ball left, Shannon Brown's fingers, I screamed out, Jim Burr, you suck. And it was perfectly quiet as it was when any Michigan state uh, player was, of course, uh, yeah. shooting. I waited until that ball left his fingers though. So that it could have no effect on his ability to shoot, and everybody looked, including Jim Burr, in my direction, <laughs> and so I turned around too to look at the poor son of a bitch standing behind me who hadn't rolled right out. So anyway, I'm going to say that was my favorite moment because uh,
0: Plum's the only member of the zone that knew every member yes. of the officiating uh, <laughs> group better than the the, the opposing players. Yep. Uh, that was what Plum brought to the table. That's uh, For me, it was Jarrell Summers throwing down that dunk over Stanley Robinson in the final mm-hmm. four. That's by far my favorite individual moment of my time on campus. Ford Field was out of control while that was God, happening. Can you
2: stop using this podcast as an opportunity to flex the game? Oh,
0: did played? I just mention that I was at that game again on the floor? Oh, no. What about you, Jonesy? Are you going to say uh, yep. Notre Dame in the rain? It it is it is that is I know. it was I know the you. most
2: formative certainly yeah. game in my my MSU memory.
0: Um, it, that has does that not rank up there for you guys? Oh yeah, of course.
2: All right, so I'm not totally on an island about that.
0: No, no I would no. also give Drew Neitzel going crazy and hitting all those threes against Wisconsin oh, yeah. yep. junior year a shout.
1: Jones knows how I feel about him. Yep, that's right
0: and then uh of course final four freshman year where uh when yeah. they beat did you go down there too duke i was not there you were there for I that was, one, right i was i was on
1: i was on the court i was courtside yep
0: <sighs> look
1: at this two of all us all right we're moving of the
0: members on. of the we're podcast have been to final four games oh wow we are special
2: that is exciting. Oh, 66% right. <laughs> anthony garvert is up next what's your favorite MSU highlight or game to rewatch? I think this is a COVID specific question, but I mean, we can keep it kind of more open if necessary.
0: Uh, I'll go first. Uh, Rose bowl win or big 10 championship win over. We'll go Iowa. The Ohio state win was good, but I'm going to go. Iowa is the preferred big 10 championship game. What about you guys?
3: Uh, He's got trouble with a snap. (laughs) <laughs> any, how do you pick
1: anything else? For sure. I mean, and I don't know if you've seen the version that's um they they've said it to the Curb Your Enthusiasm soundtrack. I I fall out of my seat every time.
2: So, uh, no, it's definitely trouble. with The snap, though, I will say. Um, just LJ reaching over into the end zone for that for that play against mm-hmm. Iowa in the Big Ten Iowa. championship game. That is is maybe it's not a close second, but it's second for it's me. It's iconic. Yeah. Um, or, or Kenny, Kenny goings hitting the, the three over Duke. That that'd be up there too. Um
0: little, uh, little plug before we move on RCMB Andy H. Everyone should be subscribed to that YouTube channel. It's fantastic. I don't know who Andy H is, but he makes a damn good highlight video.
2: Hmm. <laughs> All right. Next is, Insider Baseball, does Mel Tucker replying to a tweet of yours with a GIF mean an automatic bump in the rankings? (laughs) Anthony is looking for a bump in the power rankings because Mel Tucker did indeed reply to him with a GIF.
0: Wow. Speaking of a flex. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, Anthony, look, I would celebrate you more, but you've got bacon in your name and you used to be pecan wire. So I don't know, man.
0: Uh, You got to You you know, that is pretty cool. Yeah. Is this guy's name Anthony Garvert or Benedict Arnold? I'm not sure.
2: <laughs> oh, uh, follow up question is: Is it GIF with a hard G or with a J sound? Obviously, so the way I'm question. pronouncing it is G. Yeah, yeah. You and want the if you want GIF, you
1: get peanut butter. I, that's not even right. suitable.
0: <laughs> it Last is worth question pointing out here, though, that the inventor of the GIF pronounces it with a J. But just because you invented something doesn't mean you know how to pronounce it, yeah, look yeah.
2: at Al uh, Alan Gore with the internet,
0: yep, exactly
2: <laughs> uh board game of choice during covid is Anthony's last question for us.
0: Ooh, what do you guys got?
2: uh I've been playing a lot of Rummy cube, okay yeah, uh, this isn't a board game, but we've been playing a lot of euchre here,
0: oh, so good uh over. The quarantine with the wife's family, we've been playing a lot of Six Nymphs online, which is not a board game. It's a card game. That uh, sounds
2: and- like a GE learning seminar that turned into an
0: orgy. Well. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. That's why it's such a good, fun family event. Uh, there has not been a lot of board games just here in the house. Uh, if anyone knows of a good, other than board game arena, a good board game website that you can play socially, let us know.
1: You know, I will say this. We should play some Risk. Before this happened, I played the game Pandemic, and my God, that presaged way too much. So yeah. I don't know if that's even... A
0: it's problem. a little too close. On, the, to on your
2: me. phone? <laughs> I wish. No, no. Oh, no, there's a phone game.
0: Oh, called Pandemic.
2: I it, I forget if that's what it's called. It, it, it's something yep. like that.
0: It is. The, yep.
2: Yeah, you kill everybody. That's the goal.
0: Cool. <laughs> It was originally a board... Oh, no, it's a different thing. So in the board game, Plum, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're working cooperatively with the other players on the board That's to right. beat a Pandemic. Right. There's also a version of the game called Pandemic Legacy. That was where the one I played. the game yes. changes over time. Fantastic. And it's supposed to be awesome.
2: All right. We will move on to a newcomer to the Twitter questions. Mature Bambino who wants to know... If you're stuck on an island with 3 MSU alum, who would you pick? It must be one football, one basketball, one other. Plum, what do you got?
3: Uh, I mean it's got to be uh it's got to be Drew Stan.
1: Uh, it's got to be You're a natural fit here. It's got to be Drew Neitzel. <laughs> okay? And I guess I got to come up with one other Drew. Uh, so um, there was probably a Drew Smith that graduated from Michigan
0: State at some point <laughs> in the school's history so I'm going to go with him yeah. poor Drew Smith is going to be on this island like why am I here, why am with I here? <laughs> what, did, what did you do Greg <laughs> what do you got I don't have a good answer to this question what about you
2: um, I, obviously it's Drew Stanton I think I'm bringing Draymond I, I think that's the right pick and I guess I'll pick Ablicator as the third because I drank oh, out of the Stanley yeah. Cup with him.
0: Uh I sure you've got a brotherhood. Touching, you've got a bond. Touching. He would choose you. He'd be like that me. guy at the riv that drank out of the Stanley Cup mm-hmm. with
2: me. He's like, Yeah, which one? And you can't do that again because I'll get COVID. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Last question from our newcomer, Mature Bambino, is I, I will say one that we thought about deleting. Uh, Because it's complicated. And then uh, Plum had some knowledge to share with us. But it is a take on a game that is F Marry Kill. Which is to say you have to fornicate with one, marry one, and kill another. And the options are Draymond, Cassius Winston, and Magic. And this seemed complicated. (laughs) The reason everyone should know... Or or maybe not that complicated, which is still kind of messed up. And so Plum had some knowledge to share, being that he's a public health expert. Yeah. Plum, enlighten us to help us choose. All right. Well, the first thing is, I think,
1: uh, and I won't cast any aspersions on our newcomer, Mature Bambina. Glad they're uh, listening to the pod. Even gladder that they are uh, participating in the Twitter question. something that I have neglected to do for over the, at least the last month. So kudos to you. Uh, my our new friend. Uh, However, it should be said that anytime you're talking about somebody's uh, HIV status, and you kind of putting them in these games, you just got to be intentional because you don't want to run the risk of accidentally, hopefully not intentionally stigmatizing individuals uh, and uh, and their HIV status, especially around sex. Um, So I think if you evaluate each one of them, not on some universal time, like when they were all x age or x year in college, but if you evaluated each of these guys where they are right now in their life, uh, what we can say about Magic and specifically his status, um, which is the term that we use to describe someone's uh, status as whether or not they live with HIV or whether um, the disease has progressed and they live with AIDS, is uh, that to, to, have, to, his, to have lived as long as he has, um, and I don't know this about Magic Johnson, but I will make an assumption um, that he, he likely lives with HIV that is undetectable which is to say that his um, virus load is so well managed through medication and potentially some other lifestyle modifications that um, that, if you, that if he were to do a blood draw today and you were to check uh, him for the presence of the virus, it would not be detectable on that test. Um, and uh, that is the, the wonderful thing that we have around um, HIV medication, antiretroviral therapies nowadays, um, is that if they're adhered to well, um, in addition to a, a typically healthy lifestyle and uh, management of your disease, uh you can uh, most people will live with hiv um for their for their natural lives um and that virus will will maintain an undetectable load which is to say that you could have unprotected intercourse those individuals and your risk of transmission of the virus is um is statistically insignificant so uh that's an incredible uh, accomplishment that modern medicine has given to us and should give us all great hope about our ability to have um a, a, a vaccine or a or a, a way to treat covid um because we've been able to do it uh, pretty effectively with um, with this. So, having dropped those truth bombs on you, I would <laughs> kill Draymond because you know he gets a little aggressive sometimes. I would <laughs> totally um, f Cash because please and um, Magic with all the dollars, yeah,
0: honey, yeah, dude, hubby. That's that's easy decision right there. <laughs> what about you, Josie? Uh
2: so I mean, Cash has been like such a nice guy that smile is just everything is a big believer in supporting survivors. I got to marry the dude. It's fair. And that's Mm -hmm. a tough decision. Cause I mean, Draymond, did you see his proposal video? I didn't know. know Dude brought out a yacht and helicopters. Like it was a whole thing. Hmm. Um, but with that said, I think I'm going to do the one and done with magic and I guess I got to kill Dre. I don't know. (laughs) I I don't like these answers. Greg, you got it. You got anything?
0: Uh, probably similar. Although I might take the one and done with Dre because maybe that's, you know, when you want a little bit of a live wire,
2: big spoon. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We'll move on to Kyle Lisk as now that we've made Greg feel sufficiently awkward. And I'm sure my, I'm not awkward.
0: I've been staring at these names. I've just been daydreaming. Uh, all right. Kyle Lisks asks, how much
2: wood would a woodchuck chuck if Mel Tucker was motivating it to chuck wood? And I misspelled wood the last time.
0: Hmm. W-O-U-L-D here on the outline. Mm. The answer appears to be quite a bit if that I mean, wood is six feet or taller and uh, and at least 250 pounds or whatever the metrics are. I mean,
2: that woodchuck is going to be relentless. Mm-hmm. well let's be, It'll be unrelenting and if mel tucker is
1: uh replying to tweets with with these woodchuck chucking woodchucks then i mean
2: my god i can't imagine how productive i'd be <laughs> um kyle then says actually i just wanted to ask what's your perfect sunday and i'll just say uh i think for me it's um maybe a little bit of a nice uh, brunch situation maybe turns a little bit boozy maybe some <laughs> afternoon beers and then you binge watch something you guys got anything?
0: Drinking TV is what Mike Jones just said in 30 words. I mean, uh, I'd mow
2: my lawn too.
0: <laughs> Plum, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I think uh friends over for brunch. There is there anything better. Uh, you know, I used to get the New York Times delivered and they that comes on Sunday mornings. Eat a cup of coffee, sitting by the nice window, maybe on the front porch even when the weather's nice. These are these this is it. That's a that's the
3: highlight.
0: Uh, I'm going to take the opportunity to go somewhere and sit in public. Uh, That sounds like a perfect Sunday for me. And at this point, I don't particularly care where. It could be like the Secretary (laughs) of State's office on a Sunday, and I'd just be thrilled about it.
2: Uh, (laughs) With that, we'll move to Raymond Chain's last month's winner. If you could stuff (laughs) and mount any athlete on your wall, who would it be? So I made this it.
0: observation before we started recording. Raymond gets a little success in him last month. <laughs> you know, he wins. He wins the Twitter competition, and he thinks, "All right, so so they liked a little bit of personality. Let's turn this weird knob up. Let's ask about stuffing and mounting an athlete, <laughs> taxidermied athlete on the wall." Uh, the it, I guess the answer is most athletes would take up your whole wall. So I'll go with someone like. Mugsy bogues because you could at least like put him somewhere and he wouldn't like dominate the whole thing. What about you guys?
1: I I should be more embarrassed to admit this. It's going to be JJ Reddick for me, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I have never disliked a college athlete more in my entire human life yes. than JJ Reddick. And beating him in uh, 2004 in the Elite Eight to get into the Final Four, uh, 2005, rather, was uh, for me the singular greatest Michigan state sports experience in my entire life. I remember where I was. I remember how I felt. And I remember the look on his face as he had to walk to the line uh, to shake hands with the better team. And so um, I want (laughs) to see that that look on his face every day for the rest of my life as uh, little bits of uh, cotton wads come out of his other orifices because it was so shoddily done.
2: So, so to be clear, your Your mounting and stuffing has some homicide involved i yes. I, I didn't say that <laughs> so, uh I'm going to say that if if drew Stanton predeceases me uh i will I will gladly pay his family for his remains uh, <laughs> and he will be stuffed and mounted because let's be clear, he's been on my wall before. Mm-hmm. In big fashion. There you go. Yeah. Um,
0: those were the best days of your life. So. They were
2: the best days of my life. <laughs> Next, Raymond says, which pro athlete turned into the worst rapper slash rock star slash etc. Plum, who you got? I
3: don't even have an answer to this question.
2: Probably Drew Smith. <laughs> That's a callback. Yeah, uh, it was. Took a minute. Greg, I think you and I thought maybe it was Antonio Brown.
0: Yeah, Antonio Brown came immediately to mind. I, I don't know if that's a recency bias thing, but uh man. Hoof.
2: Yeah, I Oof. haven't discovered Tim Tebow's like, you know, soft Christian rock album yet. But if it exists, then that is the answer. But otherwise, yes, it's Antonio Brown. I <laughs> um and, and so that we're we're not being totally biased, uh Le'Veon Bell, you know. We see you.
0: Was in consideration for
2: this. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Next from Raymond. Is Demolition Derby well-suited for the COVID-19 pandemic? No, uh, uh, none of its fans believe the disease is a problem and the contestants are in their cars anyway. Plum, I'll turn this one to you. Listen, uh, it depends on what you mean by well suited. I think it's perfectly suited
1: for the for the COVID (laughs) reasons that Raymond is asked. So Raymond, I doff my cap to you, my sir. And uh, let's just say that, you know, at the end of it, you can just kind of scoop all of the uh, fans down into the pit, cover them up with dirt and on to the next uh, on the next one.
2: It's great <laughs> plump turning mildly homicidal as we get through the twitter questions I think it's just raymond i don't know man
1: again just turning that knob up
2: yeah it's no wonder that raymond is the most frequent frequent requester of your presence here <laughs> um next and last question from raymond has big gretch ever asked jonesy if he thinks he's pretty
0: i don't have to ask man I know. <laughs>
2: it, it's it's known um, with that, we will move to CT and TC. Who first asks if you could live forever and not age, but everyone else that is friends, family, etc., does age and dies. Would you take that deal? And I don't know how you answer anything other than yes. I mean, did, so this is did he just is read, read *Tuck mile. Everlasting*?
3: Would you say plum? Did he just read *Tuck Everlasting*? Well, wasn't that the whole premise of the book we all read in third? <laughs>
2: Uh, he he might have uh I mean but I think the question is do you take the deal
0: no I'm gonna die
2: no I'm gonna die
0: I don't really like my family or friends already (laughs) we'll replace them there'll be new ones like immortality I'll be the Highlander thank you very much here's
1: my question what happens when the sun explodes then what
0: you're still alive he, death of the universe is going down. Just very bored yes, out there.
2: Very bored. <laughs> very bored. <laughs> uh, next from TNTC. What's your favorite meal your mom makes? And uh, I'm going to just say, I'm going to put an asterisk on this question and gloss over the, the sort of sexism in this because okay. in my family, it's dad who does the cooking. Mm. But uh, I'll turn it to you two.
3: My mom makes uh, the world's best uh, chicken and dumplings.
0: Pretty good. Uh, My mom, I think, makes a spare rib type of dish that's really good. Um, So we'll go with that.
2: (sighs) Well, and CT, in case you're curious, it's tough to pick one thing. My dad makes a great chicken cacciatore, Mm. but this isn't like a a meal in the sort of traditional sense, but he makes uh, a smoked pork butt that he like smokes for like 14 hours or something. That is phenomenal. Um, Hmm. And then there's like a a Carolina barbecue sauce with it. That's all vinegary and awesome. And you put it on King's Hawaiian rolls. It's great. Anyway. um, Have you ever owned a pet that wasn't a dog or cat plum? I am definitely interested if you have here uh a tamagotchi
1: (laughs) i'm sorry does that not count
0: no it does as long as you feel it inside you it counts uh as long
2: as i feel like you were one decision away from becoming a snake child no
1: uh -uh. i'm too risk averse but i will say when i was in the peace corps we had a pet pig so i don't know if that counts
0: what was his name?
1: Oh, his did, or her name? We didn't name it. It was, we were just, it was like an investment until we could sell it for uh, someone else's wedding. We made some good money oh, in that, I think it made
2: 500 bucks. Sure. That's
0: great. Probably don't want to name the pig in that situation. No, no. That no. makes sense. Greg, how about you? Uh, the Greg family had a hamster called Herman that bit you every time you interacted with it. It was the all time <laughs> worst pet. And none of us were bothered when it finally died. Yeah. <laughs> After a really long time. Way too long for a hamster.
2: Uh, Far too long. <laughs> I had a beta fish for a while that was named Lenny. Um, Leonard specifically, but he went by Lenny. Uh, anyway, last question. And this one is confusing to me. Maybe it's clearer to you guys. If you were an odds maker, what would you put as the percent chance? that college football will be played in the latter half of 2020 college football is played in the latter half of 2020. So I'm not sure that's what he means because he would have said college football is played on
0: time, right? Yeah, maybe he means in lieu of being pushed into the spring of 2021. I, I mean, he could have said
2: fall. Know. He could have said spring. He could have used better descriptors and also do odds makers work in percentage chances.
0: Not exactly how they draw it up. I'm, I'm going to works in math.
2: So CT, I'm just a little disappointed here, but let's just say, give me your odds that we play football in the spring plum you have the most insight go ahead in the spring yes
3: in this in the spring we're not we're there right now there's no football happening
2: no spring 2021 oh you're saying spring of 21 so we're so we're we're completely writing off the fall yeah i mean i don't know how you say latter half of 2020 but fine you know what fine We'll take, we'll take both played yeah. in fall 2020. I'm saying fall of 2020.
1: You're lucky. I'm, I'm going to put it at one in four chance. I think it's 25% likelihood that we actually end up getting college football in spring. Spring of 2021, though,
2: uh, 65%. <laughs> that does not bode well for any football happening. Greg, you got a reason to disagree with any of that?
0: No, no reason. If that's what All right. he says, I'm inclined to believe him.
2: We'll move to Sawyer, like Tom, who we this is another this is a great question, a question that is on the level of the Hogwarts house sorting of Big Ten schools. And the question is this, what alcoholic beverage best represents each Big Ten school? We're going to push this and have it be its own segment next week. But I do think it would be who of us to give a little bit of a hat tip because recently the only podcast, which is a, what we would like to refer to ourselves as, but we don't, which is another MSU sports podcast podcast did an entire segment. anal, anal mm, Analyzing. comparing, <laughs> comparing each big 10 quarterback to an alcoholic beverage. So this will be a similar segment, but different. And this one came to us organically. So we're going to do it anyway next week. Um, so we'll move to the next question, which is if MSU isn't playing, what big 10 team do you root for? Uh, Greg, who you got? Well, the most obvious
0: answer is whoever is playing Michigan, but that's not always true. Uh, so I think maybe Indiana is my second. I mean, but still forks down, forks down. I don't care about any of them. That's my answer. Hmm. No loyalty at all. i got what about uh,
2: you guys? I got some land grant loyalty. I'm, I I typically root for the uh Nittany Lions when I can.
3: Okay.
2: Ooh. Uh, so I go west, and um, usually it's honestly Iowa. Yeah.
3: yeah.
2: But I'm a little intrigued by Minnesota. I like the up and comer. Yeah, you're rowing the, the boat over there. The new money, you know. Um. I'm interested in it. I, I like the upstart, and frankly, uh, Iowas had their shot so many times, and they just haven't closed the deal. so um, so yeah, I'm going to Minnesota for right now, but usually it's out west because it matters less for me. Fair. Um, next question is: are either of you aware that there is a second verse to shadows? And Jonesy, does that knowledge make you like our alma mater more? less or equal did you guys know there's a second verse
0: i did yes
2: okay yeah Um, i guess i will just say first of all uh is i like my alma mater as much as i ever do i love my alma mater knowing that there's a second verse to shadows doesn't make that song good and it still is garbage
3: Uh, can you this is an
1: area where we do have a very, and I might even call it painful disagreement, how it is you cannot like. What, is, what happened
2: to you?
3: Yeah. What,
1: what it,
2: because well, the, 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 when that song comes on, it is a bunch of people who stand together yes. and rock back and forth, yes, mumbling like they don't know the words to the hymn at church. It is a whole bunch of people who are guests at a church for the first time ever. Okay, it is oh my God. painful and bad.
0: Okay, I, I don't know what churches you've never who are been to church.
2: To. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure because that's never been to church. Right. You know what? Never it is to. it is how I sing hymns at church, oh which is to say, mumbling and unaware of the words.
0: Okay. You know, you don't and have then, to even mumble. You can just like the words are on have the, the, the book open in front of you.
2: <sighs> <sighs> All right, next up from. Wow. From You're just so like Tom You're is very sad. <laughs> What's the weirdest snack you've consumed during quarantine? I don't have anything. Greg, you got anything weird
0: No Plum, what about you? I am
2: baking so
1: much that if I have another chocolate chip cookie, I'm going to throw up, which is sad because I really like them.
2: So I'm going to say that. Fair, 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 fair. Uh, last question from Sawyer Like Tom is, is mother's day actually a little terrible? She does want to point out she's actually a mother. Um, I don't know. Do you guys have an opinion on this?
0: I'm, I'm going to guess that there's some exhausting thought pieces out there about how Mother's Day reinforces patriarchal stereotypes or is triggering to women with fertility issues or this or that. And that we're all terrible for acknowledging Mother's Day. Um,
2: I, I actually I don't know think it might be a little them. bit easier than that. Yeah, I think that if you wanted to celebrate Mother's Day, you would take the children and leave her alone for a day.
0: Yeah, that's how a lot of mothers celebrate that day. Is are just well, like...
2: then maybe that's not how she celebrates it, and maybe <laughs> maybe her spouse should give can't read can't write a listen. I don't know. I mean, I don't know about the think pieces. I don't. But I could imagine that there's a lot of like forcing of momness onto someone when the real gift could be just a little bit of a break. Hmm. Paul, anything you want to add? Uh, I might take it kind of deep for a minute, which is just to say, I
1: I have a friend who uh, had some pretty tough stuff happen in her early life and she had to give her kids up because she couldn't get her stuff together and wasn't able to be a mom for them. And Mother's Day every year is a very difficult time, as you might assume for her, but it has provided her an opportunity to try to find a way to reconcile with her children and she's in the process of doing that. So I think these things so often are really what you make them and, uh, she could hide and run from that day every year and she doesn't. And I think the opportunity to not run and to try to do something proactive, um, is
2: could could be instructive to all of us around how we approach those things. That's very uplifting. Thank you for sharing that. That's lovely. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to move on then. Uh, uh, Next up is Jare Bear, who I missed last week. That's on me. So the
0: four-question rule does not apply to Jer. Ah.
2: Yep, and this is our attempt to, in the power rankings, make it up to him. Uh, We'll see how good these questions are, though. So F. Mary Kill, Matthew McConaughey, Ryan Reynolds, Gerard Butler. Plum, who you got? Okay, Matthew
1: McConaughey. He might also get stuffed on my wall. I'm not exactly sure. Um... Ryan Reynolds is a comely young gentleman, so he he gets he gets effed. And uh, Gerard Butler, what a gentleman. What? A, could you imagine
3: showing up to a, a, a black tie affair with him on your arm? Come on. For life? Yes. Mm. Sorry, <laughs> I gotta say
2: I gotta say F Matthew. Oh, I wanna marry Ryan. Okay. And you know what? I feel like I'd be more of a Spartan if I killed.
0: The man who wow. played Leonidas. Wow. Okay. Greg? <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna marry McConaughey just because it seems like the most interesting way to go through life. Is all right, to
2: just all like, right, all right.
0: Be around while he's talking about things. <laughs> uh, you know what's great? I mean,
2: I, about, you know what's great about high school girls?
0: He keeps getting older. Is that where you're going with this? Yeah.
2: And they stay the same age. It's from uh, <laughs> uh, his line. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I love his Lincoln commercial where he just, he just leaves the the table of with his guests and then he shoots pool for a second and people are like watching from the, uh, from the hallway and then, and then he just like leaves, he just gets in the car and goes, but before he drives, he takes a moment to appreciate the Lincoln for what it is. And then he, and then he, takes off it's one of the strangest commercials and i've seen it a thousand times and being around him a lot seems like fun so that's my i opinion. like
2: his ice fishing one where he drives out sets a what seems to be a trap for fishing and then gets back in his lincoln it is the least fishing thing i've ever seen anyway sorry you're gonna f matthew no mary marry matthew
0: i don't care about the rest of them.
2: all right Boring. all right next up from jerry you get, the, he's, he's listed four foods here. You have to pick one to eat five days a week, the other on weekends, one you get to eat once a year, and the other never again. The four foods are Philly cheesesteak, Chicago Tavern-style thin crust pizza, Ch- uh, California sushi, or Coney Dogs. And I would just like to say, Jer Bear, I appreciate that you said cheesesteak as one word, but can you name me another region that has a cheesesteak.
3: Is there a Texas cheesesteak? Is there a California cheesesteak? You don't say Philly. Anyway. Plum. Oh.
0: Ooh, what do you got? Jonesy, Jonesy really identifies the Philly mindset, which includes the taking cheesesteak. It's, cheese it's just okay. a cheesesteak. It's just a cheesesteak. Anyway. We can anyway. slow down about this. All
2: right. just, Plum, what do you got? Plum
1: and but. Uh I mean, you know, I'm gonna just go on the basis of taste and what I just think my taste buds would never get over. Uh I I think I could do the pizza every day. Uh I do the Coney Dogs on the weekends. Uh the cheesesteak could take a year, and then, you know, California roll, I can get rid of that. There's a lot of different kinds of sushi to eat, so
0: Yeah, the specificity of the California roll means that you could just push that thing. Uh I'll take Coney Day Coney Dogs all day and then filter in the rest however you want
2: all right i'm cheesesteak coney's on weekends tavern style once a year screw the sushi all right favorite movie soundtrack plum what do you got um you know we talked about garden state and i no i'm
1: gonna i'm gonna uh, it's it, yeah, i'm gonna say garden state. it's for me oh god I, uh, oof it's
0: garden state it's garden state. oh it is not how my answer is anything but Garden State. Fine, take Garden maybe, State and take Oh Brother Where Art Thou and put them on a little raft and good. push them out into the. What water. about the
2: Romeo and Juliet soundtrack?
0: Mm, I like that one too. That had the cardigans. Wow, love fool. Mm.
2: It also had Radiohead on it. So good. You know, okay. I don't want to forget Home Alone. Everyone likes John Williams.
0: Hmm? Yeah, there are a lot of good I mean, John Williams. Can you pick
2: Bohemian Rhapsody? Can I just pick Queen as my
0: answer? So Wayne's World soundtrack is your answer. Right. I,
2: um uh, all right, I think you've gotten the sense of where this this podcast lies on favorite movie soundtracks. <laughs> uh he does ask me to power rank the following bottles, which at first I did not realize were baby bottles. Um but then uh it it kicked in. Uh it's uh Doc Browns is number one. number 1. Uh the the Nuck I think I'm going to, but it's a close third with Phillips and then Tommy Tippy's last. I don't have
1: kids, but I have a goddaughter and when she was born, the one contribution I could make to my best friend was to come over and just wash the bottles. And they're Doc Brown's family and I have to say those things disassemble and reassemble very nicely.
2: So. Yes, they're not complicated and never had any like um, real burping issues or anything like that. They're great. Super great. Um, go. Next from Jer Bear he says, I know you like Thunderstruck for cheesy reason, reasons. What would be the one thing you would change about the MSU pregame atmosphere Then, if it not the, interest, uh, the entrance song? Plum, what do you got on this? I'm what fair. would you change? I'm pre- trying
3: to make sense of the, of the question here.
2: I think he's saying you're we've I think I've at least been a stronger proponent of Thunderstruck, and I don't know that anyone has a really good alternative as much complaining as there is about Thunderstruck. Mm -hmm. So if you were going to change something about the sort of pregame ritual, you know, um, what would it be?
3: Um, I've never
1: really cared. I know this isn't something that's under the school's control, but I don't care because I get to decide. Um, I don't like how the referees come out in their coats on the floor and stand around watching the pregame. And then they go in with the teams and take the coats off. Like that was them changing. Like we know you're already dressed underneath the coat. Like that's, you shouldn't have a coat on You're indoors. It's, it's well heated.
2: It doesn't make sense. So you're, you're going to basketball for this. What about for football?
1: Oh, uh, for football, I think, um, I think you should be required to be drunk. So I think that's a. Everyone Everybody's is drunk. That would really be the drunk. change.
0: Yeah.
2: They're, they're giving breathalyzers out of the front. Oh, no, you're too sober. You're too sober. You don't go hit some fireball and come yep. back.
0: Yep. That's
2: it. Greg, what would you change?
0: Uh, I don't know if I would change much to the pregame itself, but in terms of Spartan Stadium, Amiats, take a hike, tunes by T. Your time is over. Your songs are awful. It's time for some new blood. And it does sound like, uh, I think in the Twitter questions, uh, that Tucker said he's going to take a active role in that. It's good. We need to mix it up a little bit. So that would be my atmosphere recommendation.
2: Next question from Jer Bear is how do you record in a flooded basement? This mean. is just a little bit mean. Uh, Jer Bear is, is flexing that he knows that my basement flooded two weeks ago. And Jer, I don't record in the basement. But I record with the sound of a sump a pump, sump, a sump pump, pumping constantly
3: mm.
2: without avail. Um, I don't know. Next question is best beer after mowing the lawn.
0: Any beer is the answer oh, that's for sure.
2: But isn't High Life maybe the best beer?
0: Sure. Of all the answers, that's the best answer. Uh,
2: really, I might like a PBR or something after.
0: Uh, oh, a can... also, I'll good. support
1: that answer. I want to crack the beer open, I guess is what I'm saying. I want to be able to, Mm -hmm. I want it to be in a can. I want to crack the can open when I'm done.
0: I wish I had one that I could crack
1: right
2: now, but I'm out. Oh, let me chug this one. I'll get there. Next question is, favorite dumb action movie to watch? Plot not required, (laughs) which- We answer this question.
0: It's The Rock. It's still The Rock. It's still The Rock. Plum, you got a better one?
1: I like all of the Bourne. I think they have good plot, but they're my favorite. I think they're just, they keep me completely engaged. All the Bournes.
0: I mean, they're not quite dumb enough is my concern for I this know, question. Not I don't know, I know. Fine. They're based off books. <laughs> Alex. Books. The Rock is not based off a book. I can tell you that. <laughs> it's not.
2: <laughs> Winners go home and F the prom queen. Uh, Snakes on a plane? There you go. There you go. I, I, would t- I would say any of the Taken movies, too, though.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Those count. <laughs>
2: I mean, oh, so good. Um, last question is favorite stand-up comedian. Plum, who you
0: got?
1: You know, it's tried and true. I really like Jerry Seinfeld.
0: Did you watch the the new special?
1: Uh, I have, and I just, I just
0: really like him. Yeah, it was better than I was expecting. Yep. I, I know that Seinfeld is one of the classics, but I almost didn't watch it because
1: yeah, I thought it was going to be painful, but it wasn't. So,
0: oh no, it's really good. Um, for me, all time favorite stand up will always be Norm MacDonald. As long as the man draws breath, he will be the funniest man on you the planet. You kind of look
3: like concerned. him, correct?
0: Yeah, a little bit. Oh, that's the nicest thing anyone's ever said. slash, so not nice at all. It's okay. kind of mean. actually. At least it with that. <laughs>
2: Uh, For me, it's someone that Norm MacDonald, I don't think actually cares for, uh, but easily my favorite comedian is Anthony Jeselnik, hands down. Yeah. Uh, Next up is Nate C. Do you think MSU will play another basketball game on an aircraft carrier?
0: I think they were talking about that, actually. I think they said they figured out the whole, uh, you know, condensation on the logo issue and that there was a discussion pre or post Hollis. bringing that back. This was post-Hollis. I think oh. uh, if you Google it, I think Beekman said something about aircraft carriers.
1: See, that's interesting because I heard Bill Beekman was scheduling a game on an old rusty fishing skiff. <laughs> so that's going to be exciting.
2: <laughs> He's like, my dad's got a boat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, Next from Nate C what other unusual places should MSU play football, basketball, or the best sport,
0: hockey, moon, hockey, right? That's the (laughs) obvious one. Moon, hockey. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Why
2: not? I don't know that I've got a good answer to this.
3: Um, Why not
1: have, I guess if there
2: was a way to like play football in a national park or something, that'd be pretty cool.
1: I want to see them swap surfaces. So I want to see the football team on the ice rink at Munn. I want to see the hockey team at Breslin. And I want to see uh, the Michigan State basketball uh, players playing on the grass in Spartan Stadium.
0: (laughs) And then it could become part of the game over time, like how, you know, tennis plays on the different surfaces. Yeah, sure. No, this is permanent now.
2: Ice football. Yeah, if you're in France, you just play in one way. And if you're in the the States, you play in a different.
1: Yeah, no, to be very clear, like I want... Them in full hockey attire with skates on, skating on the hardwood, just like painful <laughs> scratching and divots. I want it all.
2: So, uh, next up from Nate C roundabout or traditional intersection?
0: Roundabouts are great. It's gotta be
2: roundabouts. Roundabout. The worst thing about a roundabout is people who don't know how to use a roundabout. Yes. Otherwise, they're perfect. Perfect. Uh, last question from Nate C what's worse, hangnail or just below the skin pimple?
3: Plum. Guess. Below the skin pimple for sure.
2: Yeah. I don't know that I've ever had a hangnail. So I can't relate. Yeah. So I guess by definition that means just below the skin. Yeah. Um, John Hubbard asks, are you guys mad that Elon Musk stole the name of any potential future can't read, can't write children? And I have to say, John, if you've been listening, you'd know the children we have could only possibly be named one thing. And that's Drew. Uh, John also asks, have you chosen a Korean baseball team to follow? So you have some sports uh, to look forward to watching. Plum, have you? Because I haven't.
1: Uh, I have, uh, I, you know, and this hard, it's hard because you can't always uh, tune into them, you know, the times don't always line up, but you may be happy to know that in Daegu, they have the Samsung Lions, and given my own inability to enjoy the Detroit Lions, I have decided
2: to follow the Daegu Samsung Lions, so. There you go. In any go. lifetime have you been able to enjoy the Detroit Lions?
0: I haven't,
2: that's the point. A
0: major Lions upgrade just happened for everyone in the listening audience.
1: Yeah, and in fact, their color scheme is the same as ours. It is blue (laughs) and silver. So I don't know what to tell you. Good.
0: Is it the Hawaii blue or is it a different blue? No, no,
1: no, no, no. It is the Hawaii blue, my friend. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it might even be a trademark violation. I'm not sure.
2: (laughs) Greg, Greg, have you picked anyone up?
0: No, that's it. I'm sold on the Lions. I'm... (laughs) I'm ride or die right now with the Daegu Lion. The, how do you pronounce yeah. it properly? Daegu, you're right. Yeah. Daegu yeah. Lions. Uh, that's that's my team.
2: All right, we'll be giving updates every week then. Um, next question, if you could have one, would you choose to be buried in your dream car or cremated in a Viking funeral? Greg, is this a reference to something I should be picking up on?
0: Uh, I, I, I don't know. Is this a threat? I mean, the, the answer is Viking funeral for everyone, right?
1: It it's one is of the all time well, best ways to go. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Now I, that I want say, that pyre, baby. There was was there a there was some guy was it? I mean, he might have been a Taiwanese guy. I can't remember. There was someone somewhere out of the country who had this elaborate. He died of COVID and was going to be buried in his Bentley, and then oh. he surprise, I'm not dead. And in fact, everyone should be social distancing. There was something like that that happened. It was not, of course, that, but it was something
0: similarly stupid. It would be classically John to make this or sort of esoteric reference that just went over our heads. <laughs> so, uh,
2: buy it. last from John is time travelers visit you from the future and say your life story has been the inspiration for their society based on world peace and MSU championships. They show you a copy of their text based upon your life and you see it was written by Hondo. Do you disgrace yourself to avoid Hondo writing about you and doom humanity or do you bite the bullet and let Hondo tell your story? Those who don't know, Hondo Carpenter is someone who puts words on the internet. (laughs) Writer is maybe too kind of a word uh, and covers MSU sports. Um, He's somehow associated with Sports Illustrated, but not in a journalism sense. Anyway, Plum, what do you do? Um,
1: So, are you familiar with uh, the movie The Room? yeah this right of course so right so there's there's something to be said about things that are so horrifically bad that they become good and i think that is somewhat we can say about hondo so in this sense i would love to see what he writes about me because it could one day become redeeming
0: this reminds me of like a Twilight Zone episode where you know you walk through a portal and you end up in what appears to be a utopia at first, but at the end of the episode, there's some like tragic flaw to the whole thing. I think we just haven't seen that yet in this hypothetical, but there is something terrible lying underneath all of this. If yeah,
3: I, world if, history if is based a
0: society off. Of Hondo. Built
2: on a, if there's a society built on a Hondo text, something has gone wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at best, you're living in idiocracy. At best. Um, Aren't we right now? Next up is Brandon List, who asks, Draymond Green is one of the best players in the NBA. As a Spartan, was one? Of, was he one of the best players in college basketball?
0: So this is like a history lesson. Uh, the answer is the resounding yes. <laughs> in fact, he got a lot of votes for player of the year. Or he won, I think a couple of the, the smaller player of the year accolades. Um, so yes, big time. Yes.
2: Plum,
3: any reason to disagree? No, I never disagree with Kevin. Gregg.
0: Thank
2: you, sir. <laughs> uh, only me when it comes to shadows. Um, <laughs> what are the top four Spartan podcasts? I would say this sadly means that Jerbear's bears podcast podcast divided is out because it's a U of M MSU joint production, and we cannot have that as an answer. Um, Plum, do you listen to any other Spartan podcasts? And I don't know why you would, but it's okay. It's, this is a safe space.
3: Um,
1: I would never discredit myself or dishonor my family uh, by, uh,
2: let alone <laughs> even listen. So no, I only have one, one and only
0: one.
2: Greg, what I, I know, you you pick up some things. What do you listen to?
0: Well, we you know we encourage a r- robust podcast diet here where you should be listening to this episode of Can't Read, Can't Write, and then re-listening to all past episodes of Can't Read, Can't Write <laughs> every week and dedicating every week more and more of your time to it as we add more content. And uh, that's, those are the best Spartan podcasts. What about you, Jonesy?
2: Yeah, I, I think um, the podcast you're currently listening to is the best one. And then probably the um, top three are last week's episode, the week before that, and the week before that. So (laughs) um, if you've listened to the whole episode and if you've listened to past episodes, you know there are at least other podcasts with which we are familiar. So that's all I'll say. Um, Verbose Dutch next asks, and first time questioner. uh, And so welcome.
0: And true to and their name, looking yes, at and this. True to their
2: name, this, is a, uh, this was a two-tweet question. So bear with me here, folks. The Big Ten schedules MSU's last football game versus Maryland or Rutgers two of three years. Should MSU take it into their own hands and schedule an actual interesting game for fans on quote-unquote rivalry week? Notre Dame is ending their series with Stanford soon, and it would work for both parties. Schedule Notre Dame for the last game like Georgia does against Georgia Tech or Clemson in South Carolina. At the very least, Beekman should call Notre Dame as leverage for a final game versus Penn State. He should call Swarbrick about the last game. Regardless of what Notre Dame actually says, immediately leak it to the press that MSU and Notre Dame are in talks. Penn State won't want to be stuck with Maryland or Rutgers, thereby forcing the Big Ten to make the land-grant trophy the crown jewel of rivalry week. And those were my words because we got to, we got to represent that big boxy beauty. So uh, Greg,
0: what do you think of this plan? I don't think this is a question. I think this is amazing strategy just being leaked out in the internet. Like Beekman should be taking notes right now. So Bill, as you're listening to this long time friend of the pod. Yeah. Long time friend of the pod. I mean, we're, we're just so complimentary of him. Plum, I, anything you want to add? I would just say if they can play
1: the game, the land grant game, on his uncle's uh, rusty fishing skiff,
2: we've got a twofer. Oh,
0: my God, <laughs> the double header!
2: So, I hope. I mean, we, we did talk earlier this week about Notre Dame being desperate right now because they're not in a conference, and if it's only conference games. So, this is the time to take advantage of that.
0: Strike, yeah. man. Strike. Yeah.
2: Um, all right, we got to get through these last two questioners super fast, but last or second to last up the penultimate upper deck jerk guy does delaying college football until the spring really screw up recruiting efforts. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and say, I think whether high school football plays is what screws up recruiting efforts more, but what do you guys think plum?
3: Yeah. Yeah, no, that's it. You're right. No. Yep.
2: All right. Good. Uh, I feel like we're really couching Rubing, uh, <laughs> Upper Deck jerk guy, right now. Sorry, Upper Deck. Um, how long will it take for the stink of D'Antonio's last seasons to wear off the Spartan fan base? I think this is actually a, an interesting question, Greg. What do you think?
0: Uh, I think the, D'Antonio's legacy is gonna be rosy sooner rather than later. If if Tucker does well early like, say, year three or year four, um, it's going to be easier to look back at D'Antonio's legacy and just sort of, like, you know, remember those those Halcyon days. If it doesn't go well, we're going to, you know, D'Antonio was the coach that gave us the expectations that we have now. So I'm betting that the last season, especially given how much has changed just since that happened, is going to be a footnote in this whole thing in his entire memory. What do you think? What do you think? Um, I'm with you, Greg. Again, I, I will just say this. I've already forgotten. I
1: believe we won a national championship under Mark D'Antonio last year. So I don't know what you're talking about. Um, I will say that I am one of the people for whom Mar- Mark D'Antonio can do no wrong. And I don't care what anybody says. So I miss him and I wish Mel um, Tucker all the best, but until he proves himself to me, like Mark Antonio has again and again and again, uh, I will never remember anything but fondness from
2: Coach D. Yeah, I think we, generally speaking, have pretty fond memories of D'Antonio on this podcast, even if things maybe could have gone a little better at the end. But I would just also say that I think this is a moment where we can be very thankful that we got Mel Tucker and not Luke Fickle. I mean, the the sort of savvy that Mel Tucker has brought to reaching out to fans has made us, I think, made it easy, particularly in the COVID moment to move on into a new era, which means it's easier to put the rose colored glasses on. Um, And so that's, that's all I would, I would add, but I, I don't have stink about his last seasons. It's just, they were what they were. Um, Next up from the upper deck jerk guy. Do you think MSU football gets enough credit for integrating college football? Greg, what do you think? Well, you looked it up, right?
0: You had something on this.
2: Well, uh, they didn't technically integrate college football. There were a number of teams, including one rival to the South of us that, that had technically integrated teams before us Um, though, (laughs) described those players in ways that we would be appalled by, but they were in keeping, I suppose with the times I think university of Michigan had um, an African American player on their team in 1890 or 1891. Um, they won four games that year, uh, and claimed a national championship for it. So there's that, Gryffindor. um, right. <laughs> so, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, you guys rightly pointed out though, that in a moment, I think, I, I think what's appropriate about it is that MSU integrated in a moment in time where it was particularly poignant. Right. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, he was the
1: uh, Jimmy Ray, right? First black quarterback yep. from the South win a national championship. Uh, yep. So that's a big deal. And I think you saw integration uh, stem the tide, the tide churn, the tide changed, sorry, um, after that game. So
0: that's a big deal. And we should remember that the week preceding the game of the century, students at Notre Dame burned uh, uh, what's his name? An effigy. I was just thinking about it, uh, Bubba Smith in effigy on campus. So, I mean, there were some tensions around that time when MSU had a very properly integrated team. So, um, I, I think there's definitely some additional credit to be given, uh, for MS to MSU than, than currently is. Um, so yeah, I'll, we'll take a little bit more. All right.
2: Uh, last question from the update jerk guy is did you ever use tinder or any other online dating app if so how did your profile read um i will say i met my wife online um greg i think this is a no for
0: you right some of us met our wives in college or started dating our wives in college, is what I should say.
1: What about you, Pom? Uh, currently on Bumble, a uh, nice little feature there. You got to talk to the person within 24 hours or the uh, match goes away. Maybe they'll come on as our next official sponsor. I don't know. Either way, uh, my profile reads like a very, um, very dedicated Michigan State Spartan fan. We'll leave it at that.
0: Yeah? What's your opening line? Your usual opening line. Because um, those are important in, in the online dating world, right? Uh, they are. They are, but this is PG.
3: So we got to leave it at that. <laughs> Excellent.
2: Yep. Yep. Got leave it there. <laughs> All right. We'll <laughs> P, the guy claiming PG is the one who made it th- so this has an expli- explicit rating next to it.
0: <laughs> hey, PG, PG-13 still has one hard F. You get one, <laughs> so we're good. We're Speaking
2: set. of hard Fs, we go to Vodka Soda who asks, F. Mary Kill, Mel Tucker, Tom Izzo, and your co-host, um, I all due respect to Plum here, I think this was intended for whether Greg and I f Mary kill each other but oh and um, the answer
0: is kill for both of us <laughs> I mean that's easy
2: oh Greg you have no idea what what <laughs> is running yeah. through my mind right now uh but what what do you got
0: oh you. actually, gotta take
2: what you... actually here's here's what I, I'm gonna say f Mary plum gets to answer this exclusively f Mary kill but one of us gets negged <laughs>
1: <laughs> one of the two of you gets to neg? Or one yes. of the four of you? Oh my god. One of the two of us. Okay, I'm totally gonna neg Jones because I think it'll, I think it'll go a little better. I think it'll go a little better. A little better for me. uh, which means, uh, Greg, I don't know, man. I don't know if I can kill you. Go uh, on. I'm gonna marry you just to piss off Zill. Um, <laughs> I'm going to let Mel Tucker eat the bullet because, you know, Tom Izzo. I take a night in bed with Tom. Yeah. Oh,
2: I, I, yeah. Tom's got some old school moves to him.
3: Oh, for
1: sure.
2: Take you out for a nice Italian dinner. He went to New York. Let's be clear. He's going to take you to Olive Garden. Um, next up is F. Mary Kill. Shots of tequila, Jameson, or Fireball. Plum, what do you got?
1: God, I'm I'm gonna kill Jameson for sure. Tara Clark did terrible things to me with Jameson in college, so that's totally gone. Um I'm, I'm gonna F the Fireball and I'm gonna marry tequila because always been a good friend to me.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna keep the tequila. That's a marry on the tequila, and then you can do what you want with the other two. What about you? Uh so,
2: see I gotta kill the tequila because I think tequila should not be done as a shot. Uh I'm gonna I'm gonna marry that fireball in my older age. And I'll F with that, JMO. Um
1: you know, I just wanna add in a quick editorial here. Uh this uh for listeners of the pod, you should know the first time I ever got drunk was with uh one of my one of these co hosts here. Um my dearest friend, Mike Jones. And what did Mike did we get drunk off of? Tequila.
2: Were they kamikaze's? Uh,
1: they were uh, tequila sunrises because we could get orange juice at the Sparty convenience store on <laughs> you were enterprising young men. We were. That's Perfectly done. Freshman year. So, <laughs> thank you for walking me through that, uh, rite of passage.
2: Uh, yeah, could get, could get Grenadine at a liquor store, but had to, had to slip someone like a 15 bucks to get some gross Cuervo. Um, all right. Next from vodka soda is what's your favorite non MSU sports related memory of all time. Ooh. Um,
3: you know, I'll say, I, I bet it was,
2: I'm going to say it was
1: watching, um, for me, it was watching the 2014 World Cup. Um, I was living in Kenya at the time and I got to watch the World Cup with a whole bunch of Kenyans and it was so exciting to see the 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 world's game through their eyes.
0: Oh yeah, that's a that's a great I mean, we're at such a disadvantage being from Metro Detroit, where like your options are sparse, right? So, you've got to go somewhere and you've got to experience sports through some other lens and that's a good answer. I'm going to have to think about this. Jonesy, is there something that jumps out to you? Um, you know, I, I guess it,
2: this is a real weird one cuz there's a handful of things that I can think of that were so cool to watch. Um, you know, I I, I do have distinct memories of of watching some of Tiger Woods, and I'm not a golf person, but you know, that, th- that, were very cool. But I will say, I remember I was watching the X games, I think in high school, or maybe it was middle school, but, um, Tony Hawk pulled the first 900 on a skateboard and it was after trying and trying and trying. And, and it was clear he knew he could do it, but he couldn't land it during regulation. But then it w- the, the cameras were still on. And so I don't know that it was the first ever recorded 900 in competition, but it was certainly the first one sort of publicly available. And that was a, that was a very cool moment. There we go. All right. All right. Last up from vodka soda is once restrictions are lifted for sheltering in place, how long until you start participating in the real world regularly again, in essence, going to bars and restaurants, sporting events, social gatherings, etc. Um, I'm going to actually, I think we should save Plum for last here because he'll have sage advice. But, Greg, what's your instinct?
0: I mean, I, when this all started happening, I think we all were holding out hope that it would be a two week process or three week process and everything would go back to normal. And now, obviously, that's not happening. It's so contingent on the resources that are available. If the testing is available if social distancing norms can be maintained. I think anyone that's been out in public has probably seen that not everyone is uh, adhering to those. So I'm discouraged right now that even when things are opened up on paper that things that it'll be safe in such a way that you know I can continue to go out and and live regularly. So right now bearish on this whole thing. It's going to be a long time. What about you?
2: I'm, I'm with you. Um, and frankly, I, I don't trust the information we're getting. I don't think there's good leadership on this. We, as we've already covered, we don't have adequate testing in place. Um, you know, uh, It's disheartening that a dear friend of mine uh, was tested for COVID, uh, tested negative. Uh, Doctors told him, oh, you definitely have COVID though. And we're seeing like 40% false negatives. And then later on was admitted to the ER for COVID. Um, People aren't taking this seriously. And some people, for whatever goddamn reason, think that wearing masks is an invasion of their liberty. And it just makes me furious and so i I have a ton of empathy for a lot of small businesses and people who work and and make money based on the idea that people are out and about help i mean my job is based upon people hiring people like it is not a good time in my line of work um my My job is also based upon courts being open, and those aren't open and almost certainly are going to shut down again even when they do open and and so i <laughs> It, this just sucks, but I can't for the life of me see feeling comfortable out in public again anytime soon because there's no reason I should feel comfortable. People aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing, and then they feel like they're getting a permission slip to not do the things that they should be doing. And we yeah. don't have testing, we don't have a vaccine, and it, there's <laughs> certainly not going to be leadership for a second wave to get contact tracing. So I don't know when I'm going to feel safe again. But God knows I want to go to a bar. I want to go to football games. So yeah, I, I don't have an answer. But Plum, give us hope. Sure. Fix it all.
1: Let me just say that I had one singular tear roll down each cheek from each eye listening to you both give what any public health expert would say were the, if such answers could be right, we're right. So well done, both of you. I agree wholeheartedly with everything you said. Uh, My short answer is until there's a vaccine, there is no return to normal. And, um, you know, we don't know how long that's going to take until there's a vaccine. Every time you go out, whether or not you have a mask, whether or not you social distance, whether or not you wash your hands, whether or not you sanitize the groceries you buy or the doorknobs you touch, you're taking your life and the lives of your loved ones. And not only their lives, but the lives of your neighbors and your communities, because if you do get sick and your neighbors get sick and your friends get sick and your family gets sick and you all end up in the hospital. We can't treat the people who get in car accidents, the folks who've got congestive heart failure. We can't treat the folks who need, you know, got renal failure, need dialysis. We can't treat any of them because we've repurposed doctors and nurses and everybody else. This is what flattening the curve means. Um, the the tips and tools and techniques that we have are doing a good job of keeping those new infections low, but they're not eliminating them. They're just spreading them out. And the more that we open, the, the quicker the uptake is going to happen. Mark my words. The more we open, you're going to see these these um these upticks in disease happen. We just saw them in South yeah. Korea. We're going to continue to see them until there's a vaccine. For me, there is no real trust in being able to return to life as normal.
2: But
0: well, on that for a positive note.
2: note, you would say wear your masks mm-hmm. and wash your hands, right?
1: Oh, there's no doubt because those are the things that you will do that will help flatten the curve. My point is, um. That isn't enough that, you know, that, that alone is not going to get us to this happy miracle stage where, oh, we're all wearing our masks and all is right with the world. Um, That doesn't happen until there's a vaccine, but no, to understate uh, or to, to, to underline the point. Yes, please. Anytime you go out, wash your hands, wear your mask, sanitize the things that you come in contact with and limit your exposures. Uh, Those are the kinds of things that will, by the odds, keep you safe, keep your family safe. Um, They're not going to eliminate this thing though. We don't eliminate this and we really can't get back to the life that we used to live where we weren't constantly afraid and aware of this. That doesn't happen until there's a vaccine.
2: Well, on that somber note, the good news is there's a lot of time for us to remain excited about MSU sports Mm. and what the future may hold. So gentlemen, (laughs) go green.
0: Go white. Go white, guys.